Welcome again to the Filmed in Canada podcast. Or welcome for the first time, because you're just a silent movie fan. Whatever the case, welcome. We are talking about Canadian movies on this podcast. I'm William Lee. And I'm Alexander Cairns. We're dipping deep into the well today, uh, going back to 1919 to talk about the silent film Back to God's Country. How did we come about choosing this film, Alexander? Uh, we came about it because a listener suggested it in an email. Oh, no, I don't have that email <laughs> easily accessible, but um, I will find it and properly credit said listener at some point. Okay. Um, I recall he... Did he yes. work? Did he work in some capacity where he was exposed to like these old movies? Yes. So the gentleman's name is Mike. I will leave out his last name just because I didn't get his consent to provide it. Uh, but Mike, you know who you are if you're listening. Um, and uh, yes, he does work in some capacity as uh, doing doing film restoration work. So I don't ah. know if that's specifically to do with silent movies, but uh, he suggested. Mm-hmm this as an option for us to discuss okay so thank you mike and we've taken up the challenge mike so hope you're not disappointed um also thanks for continuing to listen the first thing about catching an old finding an old movie like this is like where to where to find a copy of it for viewing Mm. um so i wasn't able to get a dvd copy um so i resorted to youtube um and and i did find that the version uploaded by the um Library and Archives Canada. It, that was pretty good quality. Oh, yeah. I didn't watch that one. Okay, um, I watched one that was like silent movie fans or something like oh, that. Okay, um, and it was not great. Oh, right. So I guess it 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 exists in the public domain. I yeah. assume so. People just upload versions. Mm-hmm. Did yours have a score or no? No, it did not. Yeah, okay, no. But it just um, like just the resolution was closer to decent than uh, than the other versions i saw okay so yeah the one that i saw did not have yeah yeah it was just, it was uh, it could often be hard to mm-hmm. even just tell who was who because like the faces were kind of distorted yeah yeah and and that that's a barrier to uh to watching movies if if the quality you find is is bad it, it just creates um like an extra layer um or an extra reason to not watch yeah yeah so i can i can even imagine if we if we were able to secure a dvd copy that like probably wouldn't be great anyway, because right. like whoever's restoring it doesn't necessarily put the most care and attention into it. Depending on who is who's doing it, if they just want to get it out yeah. for the hopes of making a few thousand bucks, then that's great. But if they want to actually pay tribute to a work of art, then that's a different story. Yeah, I guess yeah, it depends on what the motivation is, and, and certainly if it's if there's not a proper profit motivation, um, probably they don't. A company wouldn't put a lot of care into it, mm-hmm. but um, but Mike's open. I'm sure uh, you know they they probably uh, have their eye on uh, on doing the best that they can to mm. preserve films. Certainly, uh, yeah. So. so this is a movie about forest people that go to the city and then go back to the forest. Uh, that's I guess that's a way you could sum up the trajectory <laughs> of the characters. It's also about um, um, living on the frontier. Yeah. Um, and having to, uh, look after yourself when you don't have those, um, the comfortable resources of the city, um, to back you up. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and domesticating bears. 
<laughs> there's lots of bears in this. Yeah, yeah. So maybe that's a good point to start on is uh, why are there so many animals in this movie? Um, the- yeah, it, it seems like either the filmmakers didn't know what living in the woods was like or they just wanted to present this romanticized idea of what it was like. I don't know. Yeah. yeah. Or they just, or, or the filmmakers had access to some traveling circus group that had a bunch of pets and <laughs> yeah. they just wanted to make use of that. I don't know. Yeah. Well, the, so the, the lead actor, um, Nell Shipman. Yeah. Um, according to IMDb, um, she's a, she's a performer. She's a producer. She directed as well, but they also credit her as being an animal trainer. Hmm. And then, um, and then in, in her, Later years in in Hollywood, she was an advocate for um, the treatment of animals on film sets. Interesting, yeah. So um, that also explains how she is so comfortable um, having all those scenes with the animals. I think, yeah, too. with bears and porcupines. Yeah. <laughs> I would not want a porcupine lying on my stomach. <laughs> and she also gets an uncredited story by or concept by or something like that credit on IMDb. Yeah, it sounds like from what I read, it sounds like um, she had a um, she collaborated with the author to adapt the story, mm-hmm. and um, but I guess she had more of a role than uh, you would expect the uh, the actor to have. Yeah. Um, and and actually, that she was uncredited, I guess that says something about how um, even though that she was like a, a prominent person in the industry, she's still uh, I guess a woman who doesn't get that kind of a credit. Yeah, is she Canadian? Do you know? She is. She's from Victoria. Okay. Originally from Victoria. Um, I got these notes here somewhere. Uh, born 1892 in Victoria, BC. Um, and then she would, uh, in her later years, she'd retire to Cabazon, California, uh, where she died in 1970. And, and at this point, I'm, I'm, uh, indicating to you the uh, t-shirt I have from Cabazon, California. <laughs> I was wondering why you were wearing that. Uh, www.worldsbiggestdinosaurs.com. Yeah. Is that website still active? I, probably. I'm, I'm, I suspect that they would be. Um, so I went to Cabazon, California because I was seeking out, um, one of the locations where they film Pee Wee's Big Adventure. Oh. So Cabazon, California is out in the desert outside of LA. Um, it's where he gets picked up by the truck driver. Where Large Marge drops Large him off. Yeah, yeah, and okay. there's the, the dinosaurs yeah, yeah. Um, in front of the diner. That's, that's where this is. Nice. <laughs> and is that some famous, like, dinosaur remain site or something like that? The, the dinosaurs, um, the dinosaurs are like a museum slash display for a religious group. Oh. To talk about, um, to talk about how, um, man, Coexisted with dinosaurs, or how dinosaurs are, or the science behind dinosaurs is fake because really it was like it was man and and God who uh, who were there. And Whoa! Yeah, it's it's, it's that pretty came weird. Came out of left field, <laughs> but that's what that site is with the, with the giant dinosaurs. Okay, so so like they were. When is this T-shirt from? Uh, two thousand six. Okay, yeah. but ju- judging by the graphic design, I would hazard a guess that it might have been made a lot earlier than that probably yeah because i'm just wondering when they actually would have registered this site because it feels like they're pretty internet savvy to snatch a domain like that and then have it be this covert like (laughs) christian message (laughs) i don't think it's covert i think it's it's overt (laughs) well but it's it's covert in the sense that actually that 
that domain, which I just typed in, yeah. goes to cabazondinosaurs.com. Oh, okay. So it is a misdirection. Oh, I see. Not as opposed to um, as opposed to the um, uh, intelligent design dot not dot yeah. net or something. Yeah, okay. Like yeah, they're 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 not they're not they're not showing their cards. Yeah, yeah. Up front. Anyway, <laughs> interesting tidbits. Okay. Um, the other thing, other things, uh, other background about the movie, um, the writer uh, it was uh, James Oliver Kerwood, 1878 to 1927. So he um, um, he's well known for a lot of his um, tales of the wilderness. And uh, did you ever see the 1988 movie The Bear? No. Okay. Um, that was um, um, adapted from one of from one of his or? books. Yeah, it was. Um, Directed by a French or Swiss director, um, I think it, I think it might have been shot in BC, but it was um, it was it was a story about these two bears. So very you know very um, uh, nature centric. And uh, anyway, um, I guess I, I just say that to say uh, I offer that just to say that his works were you know, they continue to be well known and they adapted his his works. And he was Canadian. No, I think he's from the UK. Okay. Um, Do you live in Canada? Mm, no. Because I'm just curious. I'm curious where the Canadian element of this story comes right. from. Okay. Sorry. Let me take that back. So the 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 writer uh, James Kerwood, his ancestors are from the UK, but he was born in Michigan. So was the director David Hartford. Yeah. Uh, from Michigan, um, and uh, uh, this I I think I'd have to double check this fact. Um, the, back to the writer, uh, James Kerwood. Mount Kerwood at uh, 1980 feet is the highest point in Michigan is named after him. Hmm. Not, I don't know, that seems pretty pretty recent for a mountain to be named. Yeah. yeah. So I'd have to double check that one. Um, so Nell Shipman is the, uh, the Canadian connection, it seems. That it yeah. takes place in the north is a connection. Mm-hmm. Um, they shot this in... California, Idaho, and uh, around Lesser Slave Lake in Alberta. They actually had to incorporate a company, a film company in Alberta to shoot there. And then this was the only production uh, ever made by that company. So, Interesting. Yeah. Um, so I think, I, I think uh, those are your Canadian connections. Um, it is, I guess I'm just curious why two dudes from Michigan would, would make a story about the Canadian frontier. Right. I guess they're close enough to the north that yeah. they, you know, that they were familiar with Canada, or they had those romantic notions of like that's the that's the wilderness. Yeah, yeah. Cool. Um, so this is a movie about what would you say? It's about the frontier. It's about murder and intrigue. Um, it's also about a frontier's woman. Yeah. Um, it's about a woman who isn't getting. Uh, the proper support from the men around her, and she has to take charge. Sure. Um, and and it's about nasty men who uh, eventually get their comeuppance. But also mystical dogs. <laughs> mystical dogs. Yeah, I was um, very perplexed by like the foreshadowing and just the presence of these dogs, and that they were, and that and that like this dog Wapi the killer was supposed to have this like triumphant destiny mm-hmm. at the end of the movie, but it, it just kind of fell flat for me because yeah. um, he's meant to to save the Nell Shipman character 
but he accomplishes that by attacking some other dogs, which I thought was kind of mm-hmm. harsh instead of attacking a human. Mm-hmm. And then the human, the murderer just falls into a lake on his own. <laughs> like, I don't, I don't know. It just felt kind of unsatisfying that the murderer just falls into a lake at the end and drowns. Um, well, I guess it's maybe there's something, maybe there's a theme of how nature kind of sets things right. Yeah, it just it just seemed kind of clumsy and stupid. Okay. <laughs> like, okay. Um, so why don't we? Um, I, I think there's there's like three acts that you can pretty much uh, yeah. delineate. So um, how about if we kind of described an act and then we'll talk about our, our reactions to it? And sure. Then, yeah, and we'll kind of go through it that way. Um, before we get there, though, would you? Because um, um, I, I think we at the beginning we talked about how hard it is to to find. Um, some of these old movies, uh, this one in particular, y- you might not um, immediately find uh, like a great quality version of it. So that mm. that is kind of a, a barrier to watching it. Would you recommend to people to seek it out? I think so. Yeah. Okay. All right. I mean, it's seventy-two minutes long. Yeah, it's not a huge commitment. Yeah. So, <laughs> yeah. Um, and there's, I, there's I, like I think I think the the scenes with the animals are interesting. Mm-hmm. Um, it's interesting that there are uh, non-white actors in the movie, which I wouldn't have expected at that time. Um, but then it's also kind of unfortunate that there is a character in blackface as well. Mm-hmm. So yeah. there's just some confused uh, yeah. things uh, you, going you, on there. Yeah, you, you kind of uh, you can't get away from the fact that it's you can't get away from black a product of its time you know? yeah yeah okay i would also i'd recommend people seek it out as well um yeah, yeah it i did find like when i sat down to watch it it was it was a bit hard to get into it because it, it's not the type of movie experience that you're accustomed to that mm-hmm. i'm accustomed to so i but i also feel like there are some like some of the filmmaking techniques at play make it hard to kind of follow what's going on yeah and yeah we can get um, into that yeah the details yeah um i would love though if if this is properly like in the public domain um i would love if somebody were to upload a version of it with a soundtrack or even just suggest like um existing music that they thought accompanied it well and you could just have that playing in the background or just take the tangerine dream score from thief and throw it in there (laughs) (laughs) i'm not familiar with that one i'll have to look it up uh michael mann uh-huh. You don't know that movie? Uh, is that it's kind of like an um, earlier version of Heat, isn't it? Uh, no, it's thing? like a he's uh, he's like a safe cracker. Oh, okay. No, I haven't seen that. Yeah. Okay. Good one. Good soundtrack. Yeah. All right. Back to back to God's country. Yes. All right. So I think the there's an introduction scene where we see a Chinese laborer who's come to the north. Uh, to take part in the gold rush. Yeah. He checks into um, a trading post, saloon type deal, a hive of scum and villainy. Yeah. And he's abused and murdered there. Yeah. Um, so he has a dog. The, the Chinese laborer had a dog with him, the um, the great Dane Tao. Yeah. Who, um, um, who survives that incident. But then we kind of flash forward and we're told that um, that there's been 40 generations of of the dog. Um, 40 dog generations later, we have Wapi the killer. Yeah. Okay. So that that was I I wasn't able to make that connection. I thought that they were, I thought that they were just saying that 
um, I, I didn't I didn't make the connection between the two dogs, which is why I was so confused at the okay. opening scene. I even went back and looked at looked at the intertitles multiple times to figure out what the fuck is going on with these dogs. Oh, okay. But right. so so it is so it is a descendant of of the Great Dane Tao. Yes. Okay. That's my understanding. That makes it. more yeah. sense. Okay. It still doesn't make a whole lot of sense. I don't think. Um. Why? How do you mean? I just I don't understand why. Okay. And um. Uh, also, where, uh, do, where do Great Danes come from? Are they are they uh, regional to Asia or something? Or? I don't know because beca- I, I thought I thought I, the other thing that I found confusing was that they were making reference to Wapi the Killer's like white man heritage. Yes, a white man's dog in a brown man's world is what they said. Yeah, what they wrote in the intertitles. Right, yeah. right. Yeah, which is why he doesn't get along with the the dogs that are. I guess they're huskies or something that are okay. part of the sled pack. That makes sense, yeah. yeah. Um, oh, so yeah, so like a white man's dog in the sense of like a domesticated animal. Yeah, th- I guess that's what it means. I yeah, don't okay. really think too much of it. Yeah, but, yeah okay. okay. Yeah, that yeah. makes So this is making more sense. All right. And I guess it does make sense that the, that, um, what, what, do you remember the, the Chinese character's His name? Name at the beginning. No, yeah. No. But I, I was for some reason I was I was thinking of that as happening concurrently with the rest of the action. But you're but I guess this is I think it happens uh, much some earlier. years before. Yeah, yeah. Okay. That makes more sense. Okay. Um, so that's. Uh, but so oh, what, oh oh one thing that I wanted to address there is um, uh, I was watching it with my girlfriend and she she just remarked how like that felt like some attempt for like white people to kind of co-opt Eastern mysticism because there's like this dog seems to have these abilities to like see into the future and, and sense pain. And, and it just, it has these abilities that, that normal dogs might not, I don't know. Oh, and okay. so I it, didn't get, I didn't quite get that. I, like, I guess, I guess given that it, given that the, the heritage comes from this, from this, Chinese character, mm-hmm. I, I, she seemed to think that there was perhaps some cultural appropriation going on there. Oh, okay, yeah. Um, well, there is the uh, uh, we do get that scene where the the new owners of Wapi, or I, I don't know, new owners, just owners of Wapi, who's descended from the Great Dane, um, they they are clearly abusive to the animal. Yeah, right. So there's something about. Um, is it a culture clash in mm. terms of yeah? It, it's treated differently than the other dogs. Yeah, yeah. So, <laughs> yeah. Um, this serves uh, to introduce the dog, um, which we will, then we come back to it later on. Um, also, um, maybe it's worth pointing out the original story that it's based on is Wapi the Walrus. Okay. Um, According to the intertitles, so I'm not sure if that is like a, I'm not sure if that was a nickname for a dog or if it was a mystical walrus. <laughs> Maybe it was a, a walrus to begin with, and they, they adapted it to be a dog. <laughs> Maybe Nell Shipman didn't have access to walruses, or they realized that it would be kind of absurd to to try and make a dramatic movie with a walrus flopping around. <laughs> Um, so the, then the story shifts to um, some wilderness location. It's not identified, but the intertitles say it's thousands, thousands of miles to the south. Yeah. Right? Okay. 
I, I think this is still in Canada, Canadian yeah. wilderness. Yeah. Right. So, uh, the, so Dolores, played by Nell Shipman, and her father live out in the woods, and they meet this. Um, he's he seems to be like a, a surveyor or someone for the Canadian government. Yeah. His name is Peter Burke. He identifies himself as a naturalist. Um, and <laughs> Good to know. <laughs> Dolores, Dolores, and Peter uh, eventually fall in love, and um, um, but before they marry, there's uh, there's bad guys that come on the scene. Rydall. Yeah, yeah. So Rydall is some sort of a some kind of some kind of a scoundrel. He we see him kill a Mountie and 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 uh, steal his uniform, and so they happen upon. Or I guess his, the. His accomplice kills the Mountie, and, but right. then he takes the Mountie's uniform. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So they are—they're trying to get out of the country. It says, but they—they—they uh, they, they come to the home of uh, Dolores and her father, and uh, and Rydal now has um, now he's obsessed with raping um, Dolores. Dolores. Yeah. So, um, and uh, it's probably not the best time to bring this up in okay. the context of sexual violence, but. It's just making me think of um, the Seinfeld episode where where Jerry's dating this girl, and he, but he can't remember her name. And she, but she makes reference to how she was made fun of as a child because her name rhymed with some form of the female genitalia. Right. And his best possible guess at it is Malva, <laughs> but yes. it, when of course her name is Dolores. Yeah. And she what, did we of. find out her name? Yes. Because I because at a I think there's a later episode where they. No, you're right. Okay. Yeah. At the, by the end of the episode, she reveals that her name is Dolores. Okay, right. Yeah. Yeah. Because I was, I remember watching that episode and my guess was Regina. <laughs> That's a good one. Yeah. <laughs> Better than Malva. <laughs> uh, okay. Yeah. That's probably an inappropriate aside. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, Rydal kills, uh, Dolores' father. And well, before that, yeah. um, Dolores's father kills Rydal's accomplice. Yes. Yeah. Um, which I guess it's worth noting again there that um, this is the character that's in blackface mm. and he's referred to as a half breed. Yeah. Um, and Rydal, I guess, masquerading as a Mountie, pretends to um, take Dolores's husband, or sorry, Dolores's father, um, under the pretense of arresting him, um, but then makes him jump off a cliff. She, I think he he pushes him. Yeah, up, right. Yeah. Um, what happens after that? Then Peter comes on the scene, right, to rescue uh, Dolores from the river. Yeah, and uh, that's the end of of Act One. Yeah, yeah. Um, so a couple of I have a couple of notes about this portion of the movie. Sure. I was really impressed that um, Nell Shipman or or a stunt woman just jumped in the river. Yeah, that was wild. <laughs> and it went down the rapids. I was like, oh my god. Yeah. Um, so I was, yeah, I was, I was, I was curious if like they would have even had protections in place in terms of like netting, like further down the river to prevent her from washing out or anything. Yeah. Like I'm just thinking of um, Fitzcarraldo and how like they have the boat careening down the river in that movie and there was just no consideration given for the cast or crew and mm. people could have died yeah. um i can only imagine that working conditions on film sets were even less controlled in 1919 than they were Who in knows? the 70s yeah. when Werner herzog was making that movie so <laughs> yeah. um 
Um, yeah, it was pretty crazy. It was uh, the way it was shot. It was pretty exciting. Yeah, uh, and I didn't expect like a, an exciting action sequence to come uh, at the in this movie. Like yeah, that. yeah. But at the same time, I also found like in this seg- in this segment in particular, but throughout the movie as well, that some of the action was just staged very poorly. Yeah, <laughs> like like the the fight within the house between um, oh, okay. Dolores's father and Rydal. Like he just, the way that he approaches him is just like so cartoony and weird. And like, mm. I just didn't, I didn't get the sense that, that Dolores's father was any physical match for Rydal. And like, why would he succumb to that? Or I don't know, it was just okay. weird. And then even there was the one shot before Dolores actually jumps into the lake, the way that she kind of like tumbles down the hill was just really strange. Yeah. Like just the, the, the way that bodies move in this movie are just very bizarre. <laughs> I wonder if some of it has to do with um, the frame rate because I think I think these old movies are not at 24 frames per second. Yeah. Um, so maybe there's like, just in terms of how it is, but uh, like registers for your eye when she when she jumps into the river, that's smooth action, mm-hmm. and it and it seemed it, it looked fine yeah. to me. Sometimes when like the the fight in the cabin, um, like when a character draws a knife, it just seemed very very choppy. I think. Yeah. So it wasn't um, like you know they'd be hiding a knife behind their behind the back in one frame and it seemed like over the course of the next frame the, the knife had connected with somebody yeah. so I, I just don't know if that is um, is a consequence of the the age of the material or yeah. just like the, the technology at the time sure yeah oh also um, the the moment where where Rydell masquerading as Mountie he points out like oh you killed that man um, like his his little uh, accomplice yeah um, they cut to the they cut to the shot of the half breed lying on the ground, just in time for his eyes to flutter open. Did right. you notice that? No, I didn't. <laughs> okay, <laughs> just it just seemed like an odd uh, odd choice for uh, editing choice. To, yeah, because he's supposed to be dead. But I, and I actually I, I I I rewound it just to to see if I saw what I saw, and it, and I, I'm pretty sure his eyes flutter open. Yeah, yeah. It, on the note of the editing, that was that was one thing that I wanted to bring up as well. Like just the way that the that the that the dog story is set up at the beginning, but then disappears for like basically all of the first act, and then and then like halfway through the movie, it's like and then Wappy the killer was still hanging out like hmm. observing the future or whatever. <laughs> like it was just really strange how that framing device was inserted into the movie and it didn't feel natural like if i don't know maybe if it maybe if if there's a better opportunity to set up the Wappy the killer story in the at the midpoint as opposed to the beginning because i was just waiting i was like what is going on with this with this mystical dog i don't get it (laughs) and then um there were there were a, a handful of sequences where like when 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 rydal and his accomplice have not yet arrived at dolores's house um, they're they're intercutting between them, and it was just really jumbled, and I couldn't understand what was going on because, like, at one point, they cuts from the the Mountie being murdered, and then it cuts the 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 next shot is Dolores, like gazing through a tree, and so I'm thinking, okay, she's looking, she's witnessing this murder, but then it turns out when when it cuts to her, what she's looking at, she's looking at is it Peter, the husband? I don't quite, I don't quite remember. The, but 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 what's the guy what's the guy's name that, that she marries Peter yeah. Yeah. yeah so it cuts to Peter like because he's going away he's going back to town yeah so it cuts to him and so it was just like there there were a, there were a handful of sequences where I just couldn't 
actually piece together what was happening. Oh, okay. Yeah. Because of the editing. Okay. There's, uh, I mean, it, it, like, I hate to just say, like, oh, people, filmmakers were not as sophisticated back then, but I mean, it, it just, the, the technique isn't what we expect today, I guess. Yeah. Um, there was, there's also that moment where. Well, I mean, there's still shitty movies today. <laughs> not to say that this is a shitty movie, but like, there's still people who don't understand filmmaking the, techniques, but yeah. make, make movies. I mean, like, great example being, um, the room that, we're with the disaster artists in theaters right now. That's right. Yeah. yeah. But we but since Back to God's Country, there's been almost a hundred years of practicing that technique yeah. and seeing examples of, of filmmaking techniques, right? So um you would expect more. I would I think I think it's you can expect more from today to say like, well, you, you should understand how to piece together a scene that happens in different um in different spaces in time or um and geography. Yeah. Yeah. When Dolores is in the cabin, there's like an evening scene, and she's thinking about Peter, who's who's gone on his um, his surveying or whatever he's doing, and he's at a campsite, um, and he's just sitting by the campfire. But Dolores is thinking about him, and she happens to have like she she opens up something, uh, a book or something. It turns out to be a manuscript that Peter was working on, and that prompts her to have like a memory of Peter. But later on in the next, uh, a scene in the next day, we, there's Peter marching through the forest and it's an intertitle that comes up to say, Peter's returning to the cabin to get his forgotten manuscript. So right. there's, there isn't a way, there wasn't a way to convey Peter realized that he forgot his manuscript. He has to go back to the house. Right. It has to just be told to the audience in an intertitle. This right. is why Peter's coming back. Right? Right. So that's, that's just like this unrefined technique, it seems. Yeah. Yeah. Um, there's also that moment where Dolores's father is cleaning his rifle, and there is a weird intertitle that comes up that isn't in the isn't in the, like the the fancy um, script that the intertitles have been delivered on. It looks yeah. like it looks like a typed note that's been cut out, so it's a scrap of paper and it's just it's just photographed. Do you yeah. know what I'm talking about? Yeah, that one that that moment puzzled me because it seemed like they. were... I think they were reading a book. And it was just an excerpt from the book. Oh, I thought that I, I remember at some point Dolores and Peter reading a book. Yeah, and then he puts the book, or I guess it was his manuscript. But I don't, well, I don't, I don't know if her father was oh. cleaning his rifle at the same time, or I don't know. The, the he was cleaning his rifle, and what came up on the screen in that different typeface was something about um, like fate. Fate inserts its hand again, and tragedies narrowly um, averted. Uh, and then they come back to the cabin scene and he, and he gives gun to Peter and they're all like laughing and stuff. And then it cuts to, and then it cuts to our introduction of Rydell. And right. it says like, but in the intertitle say, but, um, you know, despite this near miss, there's real menace elsewhere in the forest or something, something of that sort. So mm. it just, it just seemed like this weird sequence of information that didn't add up for me. Right. And I was wondering if you had any, uh, I don't have any insight. Okay. Anyway. Or a recollection of it. Yeah, yeah. Um, like, it, like it was almost if they were trying to fix the story in editing, and then they realized there was an intertitle missing, and they just, well, let's, let's just write it down. Let's just type it on a piece of paper and photograph it right now. Right. So, uh, any other thoughts about Act One? Oh, this is also notable for what is reputed to be the uh, one of the first, uh, um, or uh, it's it's Nell Shipman's first nude scene on 
camera. Okay. Um, when she when she's hiding in the uh, in the waterfall. Yeah. From Rydell. So. It looked like she had some sort of um, like a bodysuit on. Okay. Yeah. It it looked cold. Yeah. <laughs> what I was thinking. Yeah. yeah. Um, so that's not that was not a joke about nipples or anything. It just like because right. just like being in a waterfall. Yeah. yeah, it's fucking cold. Yeah. So I was I was thinking like, oh, that's kind of that kind of sucks to do that scene. Yeah. Yeah. Um, okay. So in Act Two, um, Dolores and Peter have married and they've moved to Montreal into a nice house. Uh, but then Peter gets no. An- they moved to Halifax. Really. Yeah, because the letter that he receives is 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 addressed from Montreal, I think, but to oh. Halifax. I, 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 that's what okay. I thought. Yeah. Oh, maybe I reversed it then. Yeah. yeah, I did see Montreal on the screen, so I thought they were living in Montreal. Yeah. Okay. Um, so Peter gets a new assignment to go north of Baffin Island or something like that. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, and Dolores says, like, after this assignment, you promised we're going to go back to my old house in the cabin, uh, my old cabin in the woods. So they go off on this uh, on this uh, trip, but it happens to be on a ship that is um, uh, that's commanded by Rydell, who is now right. the captain of a captain captain of a ship. Yeah, and he's and he recognizes Dolores, and he still has uh, designs to rape her. Um, so he plots to um, um, to kill off Peter, um, he, who's injured in what looks like an accident on the ship. But it's also like it's carried out by him because he tells. Yeah, um, he tells his, his, the ship his crew to, or whatever yeah. to to drop the um, to drop the 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 rigging, some sail rigging yeah. on him. Yeah, uh, and are, then they arrive. Nautical experts. <laughs> <laughs> they arrive in a uh, in some isolated port, um, and uh, is run by a friend of of Rydell. Um and this is where we are reintroduced to uh, Wapi. Yes. So. Um, yeah, so that's about the so that's kind of the second act, isn't it? Anything else notable about the second act? Um, no, no. I, I guess like it's curious if Rydell wants to carry out this act of violence toward Dolores. Like, why he doesn't? Like, it's kind of like it's kind of like the 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 Bond villains who are who who kind of tell tell him his whole their whole plan and then. Like leave him to die, but then he's able to escape. Like I, it just seems kind of if he has some motivation, why doesn't he just carry it out? Because he's he's fully able to. Yeah, I not, not that I want to see that happen, mm-hmm. but um, it's just curious. I, I um, if we're going to like analyze the character, um, I guess he feels like he has all the time in the world to carry out his thing because right. he's in charge. Um, so he's gonna wait till Peter dies, and right. you know that kind of thing, I, I suppose. And and um, perhaps like Peter dies, and like through some form of like Stockholm syndrome or or gaslighting or whatever, Dolores, that Dolores becomes go along with it, yeah. and that she becomes attached to him, or mm-hmm. yeah, I guess yeah, yeah. It's weird that he seems to be biding his time yeah but when he when he talks to his the way he interacts with his crew or his his friend at the outpost he's it seems like oh yeah i'm just gonna rape her tomorrow yeah yeah um yeah it's the character is uh is very uh kind of detestable yeah um i noticed that whenever they cut to the close-ups of wapi wapi the killer 
like growling at the camera, yeah. uh, is a different dog than the than the one that um, Dolores plays with. Oh, really? Yeah. Okay. Like, I, mean, it, that, it, I guess that makes sense. Yeah. Like it looks like a big, uh, and I'm not a dog expert, but like a big Labrador kind of dog um, in the wide shots. And then when they cut to that, uh, cut to the um, the mean dog, it looks more like a pit bull or something. Mm. Yeah. That makes sense. In the sense that, like, typically, in in when dogs or cats are used in movies, they have the multiple versions. Of yeah. Them. yeah. Although I guess they, I, I didn't notice that they that they looked that distinctly different. But um, so the so that sets us up sets us up for the third act where uh, where Dolores wants to get Peter to uh, proper medical attention for his injury, and uh, and the, the, I guess the boat is. Kind of frozen in the harbor at this point. Yeah, it's going to be not quite harbor, but yeah, it's going to be stuck in the ice for months. Yeah, yeah. Um, but she has to uh, she has to go overland um, several hundred miles to uh, to the nearest place with a doctor. And Fort Confidence. Yes, nice. Yeah. Um, so she um, she sets out. Well, so Blake, who runs the trading post, he's planning a double cross so that. Um, Peter will die, but she overhears this, and uh, and I like the scene where she confronts him and says like, um, uh, "You're gonna instruct the, uh, the the sledge driver to take me to take us to the proper place, or I'll shoot you." Yeah, and she, so she shoots him. Yeah, <laughs> and then and then she threatens the um, the Eskimo man who is like commandeering this this horse or this dog sled. Mm-hmm. Um, he threatens her with, him with death yeah. if if he does not comply with her demands as yeah. well. So I, I enjoyed uh, I enjoyed seeing that side. Of I, I don't know if I missed this, but was was there a sequence where it's shown how she gets the gun or no? Oh, that's a good question. I didn't I didn't notice any, and then all of a sudden she's got a gun, <laughs> and then right, all of, and right. then and then she also would, suddenly loses the gun. Yeah. Would Peter have had a gun? Uh, I don't believe so. I mean, I don't remember she uh, where she found the gun. You're, yeah. That's a good point. And especially given that they're setting up Wapi the killer as being this savior and mm-hmm. like this protector of good or whatever and this mystical creature, I would have thought that she wouldn't need a gun in the first place. And then she the doesn't fact that. She, and then the fact that she just fumbles it out of her hand like that was another <laughs> kind of weirdly staged moment where like why why did she drop the gun? But um, she drops it. And, you know, I guess like that's another example of like the, you know, nature is not forgiving and, and mm-hmm. so on and so forth. But, um, I just don't know, other than to shoot Blake, um, I don't know where the gun came from or why she needed it. Um, especially given that there's no final confrontation with Rydell. Mm. And it's just that Wapi attacks the dogs. And then Rydell falls into a lake. Mm-hmm. Okay, yeah. Well, uh, I don't know where she gets a gun either. Yeah. I forget. Um, but certainly I think it's a useful tool if you're out in the wilderness mm-hmm. with a bunch of uh, rapey men. Um, or I guess, I guess like if, she, if, if it was at her disposal this whole time, why mm-hmm. didn't she use it sooner kind of thing? Maybe not enough bullets to take out the entire outpost. And then she's still stuck, right? Yeah, she doesn't just... know how to get to the to the place with the okay doctor. yeah that's true yeah she needs them to, yeah. to to accomplish what she has to do right yeah so the chase across the across the tundra the the sledge ta- sledge chase 
Um, I thought that was photographed really exciting. Yeah, yeah. Um, it even it, it reminded me of um, a movie from the film fest a couple of years ago, Malignant, uh, Yeah, The Searchers, right? Uh, which had like a long sledge chase as well. Um, so I uh, so I liked how in Back to God's Country it, they showed like how big the landscape was. It mm. and they showed like how much effort it takes to drive a, a dog sled. Yeah. Um, that the driver is essentially just running. He's that the dogs can only do so much right. um, to assist in this journey. They can um, only carry so much weight. I yeah, guess. Yeah. yeah. So um, so it was, it was pretty exciting. Yeah. Yeah. I agree. Just too bad that she dropped her gun. <laughs> so like you said. She gets to her destination. Rydal doesn't get to rape her. The authorities, um, the authorities are alerted, are alerted to what's going on, and they they're chasing after Rydal, and he perishes in the water. Mm-hmm. Yeah. What happens after that? Do we find? Do we? We go back to the um, Dolores's family cabin, don't we? Yes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. They go back. They go back to God's country. Yeah. If that's what the uh, title infers, yeah. I think so. Okay. I think that's what it's meant to be because she wants to get back there throughout the movie. She says she says that, yeah. 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 Also, um Nell Shipman was in an earlier movie called The Girl from God's Country. I think it's actually a later movie. I think this was the second one. But she has a series of movies uh, with yeah, God's the girl, Country. The Girl from God's Country is from twenty one. Oh, okay. So this is the first And she and she directed it. Is this the first movie featuring God's Country? I believe so. But it's back to Yes. It's like you wouldn't, you wouldn't release Batman Returns before Batman. Correct. So there, maybe there's a God's Country. Um, we'll never know. <laughs> there, she, yeah, she, she was, the first was Back to God's Country and then The Girl from God's Country. Oh, okay. All right, then maybe it's referring to her wanting to go back to her ancestral cabin in the woods. Yes. Um, oh, when they were in their um, city apartment, I liked that... Um, there was that um, that shot, like a special effects shot, where she was sitting in her room and she was thinking about the cabin. Yeah. And so then, so in the same frame, you had these kind of like the bears flashbacks to animals. Yeah. Uh, in the, yeah. So I thought that was neat that they were able to pull off that yeah. kind of special effect. Yeah. For sure. Yeah. Um, this movie was remade twice. With the title "Back to God's Country," yes. So this this story about um, wilderness survival, uh, I guess it had legs. Yeah, I'd like to maybe see those and compare at some point. Um, the, Do you know if those were Canadian productions? No, they were U.S. Yeah. productions. Yeah, there was a 1927 remake, and then there was a 1953 remake again with Rock Hudson. Um, what's more to say about "Back to God's Country"? Uh, I think that just about sums it up, my man. All right then check it out if you want but don't feel obligated you don't owe us anything (laughs) yeah what is what is um like for me this is uh this is a movie that we we would cover because we're just trying to get a, a you know a general overview of uh what canadian cinema means yeah um it's more of an academic exercise though isn't it like I wouldn't, I personally wouldn't seek this out on my own time. Yeah. Like if I was like, oh, I want to, I want to see a movie this weekend. Let me see what old silent movies from the uh, early days of Canadian film exist. But I think, I think now that I have seen it, mm-hmm. I, I would say that I'm more curious to, perhaps look more into into Nell Shipman's career, mm-hmm. 
and especially that you say that she's directed some things. I think that's interesting mm-hmm. for that time period. Uh, so I think there's there is entertainment value to it certainly beyond just it being an academic exercise. Okay. Um, and like, I think part of engaging with art is thinking about it academically and not just on the level of, of it being an entertainment. So even like, yeah, I, I, I agree that I, I probably wouldn't have even like seeked out or really known about this movie without uh, a listener suggesting it. But now that he has, uh, I think it's perhaps opened up a new a new avenue into into other things that might be interesting to explore. Okay, we'll mm-hmm. see. I agree. If you're gonna engage with art, um, you do have to like stretch your boundaries a little bit and and, and sample things that are um, that are um, outside of your immediate um, interests. Mm-hmm. So uh, I think it's a good it's a good exercise. Whether it be just an academic exercise or just as uh, as um, um, a way to test uh, what else you, you haven't discovered yet, yeah, yeah. But uh, at the same time, I you know I I do wonder if this is the episode that nobody will listen to. Who knows, man? <laughs> the way that I listen to podcasts, I just listen to most of them. If I like, if you subscribe to it, you just yeah. listen to what they say. Yeah, yeah, okay, for the most part, yeah. Unless, aside from new release movies where it's more so I want to listen to it after I've seen it. Hmm. But if it's just kind of surveying a bunch of different stuff, I'll just I'll listen to it, yeah, see what's going on. Mm-hmm. Well, uh, thanks for listening to us talk about this uh, movie from 98 years ago. 99. I was corrected on that this morning as well because it's now 2018. Oh, yeah, the calendar clicked over. Yeah. yeah. So it only took us that long to get a female Jedi. What's this? <laughs> 99 years. It took us 99 years of, of movies before we got a female Jedi character. Uh, well, I guess it took longer than that because movies have existed before 1919. Yeah, I know, but I mean, just, just from 1919 to now. <laughs> yes, movies have existed since, uh, you know, 1895 or earlier. But, yeah. Uh, um, but, like, but Nell Shipman, as, I mean, as like... Uh, as, She's a Jedi as a role model for like the strong woman, right? Oh, okay, yeah, strong woman protagonist. Also, she's uh, she's uh, she's a um, creative force behind the camera. So there you go. Yeah, I wonder if uh, there was a Canadian stamp made for Mel for Nell Shipman. There was there's a series of of stamps from um, Canada Post some years ago that um, uh, that acknowledged. Um, like Canadian contributions to the entertainment industry. Hmm. And uh, who were on those stamps? Faye Ray, John Candy. I forget if Nell Shipman was among, was among them. Yeah. Hmm. Interesting. Yeah. Any stamp collectors out there, write in and let us know. Or send us a postcard with your prize Nell Shipman stamp. Yeah. We'd appreciate that. Uh, <laughs> I don't know that's the best way to deal with a prize stamp as a stamp collector though. <laughs> well what value does it have unless you use it for its purpose just the collection oh, okay yeah there's that yes. i used right. to i used to collect magic cards mm-hmm. but i had no idea how to play the game of magic <laughs> really okay. yeah. do you still have those no no you did you sell them or did you just give them away uh, i'm pretty sure i just gave them away okay like i think i i had started to learn at some point but then kind of lost interest by that point but mm-hmm. 
even even Pokemon cards, I didn't really know how to play that well. Oh. We just we just play War. It's just like if you had a higher card, <laughs> you would win. <laughs> um. Anyway, yeah, if if you um, wanted to play a card game with us, um, email us. <laughs> we can play cards over email. Yeah. yeah. That sounds like fun. Uh, FilmToCanada at gmail.com. That's how you get in touch with us. Or look us up on the Facebook, on our Facebook group page. Which is Filmed in Canada Podcast on Facebook. And uh, our website is filmedincanada.net. You can find us on iTunes or other podcast sources. Uh, if you leave us a review on iTunes and let us know by email, we would be happy to review a movie of your choosing so please do that. Or at least take it under serious consideration. Yeah. I don't think we've turned anyone away. We've turned down any um, suggestions yet, though, have we? No. No. So your odds are pretty good. There you go. Yeah. Um, also, we're serving people for nominations for the best shot in Vancouver movie um, to be then um, presided over by a, um, a jury Esteemed panel. Esteemed panel of judges. Yeah. So. So speak up if you uh, want us to consider your favorite shot in a Vancouver movie. Thanks, Alexander. Thank what are you. we going to talk about next? Uh, I don't know. All right. Keep it a surprise. And, uh, <laughs> Do you know? <laughs> I don't think either of us know. That's it later on the Twitter or on the Facebook page? Sure. Okay. Thank you, listeners. And thank you, Alexander. Thank you. Thank you.